Unleashing the rising billions. Disrupting tradition. Always be closing. Gaining exponential wisdom from street smart strategies. I dream the kind of dreams that other people said would not be possible. Free your mind. Nothing happens till something moves. I'm a big fan of going all in on your strengths. Create your blue ocean. Innovation and collaboration with competition. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Creating uncontested market space. I worry that people don't tap into their strengths. Wealth creation and a new economy entrepreneur. And there is a very thin dividing line between success and failure. Witnessing unprecedented technology. You can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Welcome to the Think Bold, Be Bold Show with Christopher Cumby and Alan Witch. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, it's Christopher Cumby with Think Bold, Be Bold. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Alan Witch. You're in the house. I'm in the house. I like in being house. in the house. And it's not the dog house. It's the house house. That is good. So I am a good. happy guy. don't want to be in that dog house. don't want to be in the dog I've been in the dog house. You know, I'm married 33 years. You get you, you, you travel yeah. to the dog sure. house periodically, you know, yeah. and yeah. sometimes yeah. you need a bag because you might yeah. stay there a while. But well, you know, you, you, know, you got to put the lazy boy in the dog house every once in a well, while, that's right? True. That's true. Just so you I know gotta... that you have, you know, some comfort if you need it. Well, yeah, I try to do. The, I'm not into the kegerator, but a, a whiskeyator. I might get one of those and put in there, but that would mean residency, and I don't like well, that. So, well, let's stay out of the doghouse and uh, let's yeah. get into our house and have some I fun like today I with like uh, with our guest. And um, I'm looking forward to this because it's um, it's it's near and dear. You know, talking about uh, leadership, um, I'm really excited to dive into Thrive. Uh, which uh, we want to pull and extract some cool things that uh, our guest is doing. But Alan, you do the great pleasure. Let's rock this. Uh, let's rock this house out. I love it. Thank you, sir. You know, it's not always that I get to introduce, you know, a, a local Oregonian, uh-huh. and I get to introduce a local Oregonian. Now he travels the world. He lives. He lives, you know, across the pond, a very large pond. But he is an Oregonian, and uh, so there's a little thing like to be that. said there for commonality, so I, I really appreciate that. But talking about living life through the crucible moments, and what does that really mean as an individual? What does that really mean as a corporate strategy? How do you navigate that? And he's got a book by the same name, you know, The Crucible Gift, Five Lessons of Authentic Leaderships Who Thrive in Adversity, and, you know, we talk about adversity, we talk about thriving, we talk about the tough moments, but we don't always talk about the journey and what it really means to go through that. And today's guest is really going to get into that. I'm going to talk about where he's at, where he's come from. Of course, you've done a really good job of, of bringing him into the, to the current from the past. And so we're going to get to that. But without further ado, James Kelly, welcome to Think Bold, Be Bold. I'm hoping to think boldly and act boldly in this episode. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So thank well, you guys for having me so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, we're, we appreciate you taking some time out and uh, hanging out with us and talking about some 
things that you're passionate about. And, yeah. you know, James, you could be doing a lot of different things, obviously. And, you know, it's always a question I like to get things started is what brought you to where you are? You know, and I know oh, that gosh. that might be a long, long story. Um, <laughs> but let's uh, let's 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 yeah. abbreviate it in some way sure. so that people understand, you know, what it took, um, you know, for you to get where you are. And then, you know, maybe a little bit about where you're going, because you've got some yeah. really cool, cool things happening. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. So I will do my best to be as short and <laughs> full of brevity as possible. This um, is your show, brother. Yeah. Let's take it away. So as Alan said, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest here in Portland, and I grew up in Southeast Portland, Alan, for your location, just off 122nd and Powell. Uh, and, Dude, you're uh, so close, like it hit a golf ball. Yeah. <laughs> if you were so, good at golf. He's accounting for the slice that he has. Don't worry about oh, it. There you big go. slice, big yeah. slice. Yes. Uh, and so I grew up in a 900-square-foot house with basically six people and three bedrooms. Uh, and so we didn't have much, and in that, education wasn't probably one of the top priorities. And so I've always struggled with school. I probably at that time, ADD wasn't really a well-known thing, but I probably had some form of it for sure, uh, if I'm being honest. I couldn't focus, even now I can't focus on anything more than five seconds. So <laughs> the short of it is that um, I barely got out of high school. I mean, it's a relative term, two, five. I got into college because I played sports. And so I played sports in college. I went to the University of Dayton and I was super fortunate. You know, I walked into a situation that gave me some protection straight away but in that, it also gave me a sense of responsibility that I didn't didn't fully understand. You know, I started working when I was pretty young, 13, I was mowing yards. Nice. But in college, not only was I playing a sport, it was a fall sport, which meant that, <clears throat> excuse me, from day one, I had 25 to 30 hour weeks just doing sport. Mm -hmm. Then I had to work 10 to 15 hours just to have spending money. So school was like third priority. And, uh, <laughs> and so after my freshman year, I quit. And I moved back to Portland because I had a girlfriend that I was in love with at the time. Nice. And, yeah. <laughs> and so that didn't quite work out. Uh, no. Lovely girl. But I ended up selling cars at Ron Tonkin, uh, new no. and new Chevrolet. Again, for another point of Alan reference. Nice. Yep. <laughs> so I figured Alan would appreciate that. And I was yeah. salesperson of the month in uh, December 1995, I think it was. There you go. Um, so I was 19 years old. But there was, a, there was a day in the spring of 2000, I want to say 2000, probably, actually it was 2000, or not 2000, sorry, 1994 is when it was, when I walked into the used car shack there and two guys had dollar bills rolled up doing lines of Coke. Oh, man. And they were like, hey, do you want to do some? And I just, you know when you see those movies and they have like that, that dream sequence and they mm -hmm. flash forward, and I just saw two distinct paths of, red jumpsuit and <laughs> education and so i ran straight back to the phone i mean literally i remember leaving the shack calling my mom saying i want to go back to school and so my mom and dad moved mountains um, took out a loan for me to get back to school straight away and i ended up going back to dayton and then and then uh within that next year my dad passed away oh, so yeah so thank you you know and so i was 20 years old and Listen, I, I didn't have anything sorted out then, but that surely didn't help the situation yeah, whatsoever. For sure, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I got out of college, you know, uh, in five and a half years, as as some do nowadays. And uh, next thing I know, I graduated with a two four. Didn't know what I was doing, and then I just kind of stumbled across life, right? So life happens, and and you make choices, and some are good, some are bad, but they are what they are, and you move forward. 
through stumbling uh, up till about age 28 or so, I ended up going back to get my MBA at a small school called Wagner College in New York City because I thought that I wanted to be a water polo coach. And that's what I did. Um, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. I got fired from that job because I had a slight uh, emotional intelligence issue at the time. And I erupted at the girls and quit on the deck in the championship game. And hmm. it just was not probably a high point in my life, but it surely pronounced I had a severe deficit. <laughs> and so and so within that, there's some other major things. I got a DUI, had to go uh, to outpatient rehab and stuff like that. So short of it is that um, I stumbled into going to Australia for a trip, loved international travel, ended up uh, teaching English in Japan in 2003 after I graduated my MBA. And I was like, I am in love with this. And then I ended up getting my PhD in Australia. How I did that, I don't know. I have this thing I call pleasantly persistent. And so I applied <laughs> to a school in Perth, Australia, called University of Western Australia. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an elite school. But I called them every week for literally six months to hound them about if I got in or not. And so... One way what I'd it. always do, I call it pleasantly <laughs> persistent. persistent. I call it pleasantly persistent because I would always say with a smile, how are you? I'd always say, how was your week? I was always trying to form some sort of relationship with them so that if the influencer, which secretaries are influencers, admins are huge influencers because they're the first line of defense. Anyhow, six months later, I get in and I moved to Australia, graduate, get married while I'm there, have my first child while I'm there, move to Philadelphia, Live in Philadelphia for seven years, teaching at a university, and now I currently live just outside Dubai in the Middle East, teaching at another university uh, with my four kids, all under 10, and my wife. And we are currently, as I just told Alan, in the middle of, or at the end of, a cross-country journey where we will drive 7,000 miles in 49 days. We just crossed, crossed wow. the 6,000-mile mark, promoting the book, seeing family, things like that. And that's... I mean, I, I can go way deeper, but that is about as short as I can make it. Uh, that was really good. That, that was a journey yeah. through time. And, yeah. you know, it's obvious that, um, that, you know, based on the book, and we're going to get into the book. And, Alan, I know you've got some questions as well. But I, I want to point out something really important for the audience. Um, you're really authentic, James, and I, and I love that because you're not afraid of your past. Mm. You know, a lot of people, you know, when we go through things, you know, we're afraid to let that out. And, and we're afraid to let people know that we've been through things like you've been through. And, you know, we're ashamed in a lot of ways for oh, some yeah. of those things. And I love what you, and, and I want to dive into the book because it talks about this, the five lessons from authentic leaders. That's authentic. That's authentic. And that's what I love about, you know, having guests like yourself on that can just, hey, this is what's happened, but here I am. And this is what I'm going to do. And you know what? It all has been a lesson for me. And now you're teaching that lesson. So The Crucible's Gift is your book. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned that uh, you've been on a, a little bit of a tour and, and talking about that and, and getting, uh, getting it out there. Uh, let's dive in. What is the book, um, you know, for a, a quick, you know, sure. quick uh, high level? Yeah. You know, give people uh, maybe what it's about and then what maybe the points on the on the five lessons. And then obviously we'll pull some, uh, some good stuff out of that. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I, can I just uh, dovetail something you said? You know, often in life, in adversity, we're afraid that, that people will see that adversity as a way to define us sure. versus us defining that adversity. 
There you go. And once you that. once you transition from saying that the adversity is a a burden versus an opportunity, once you make that transition, it opens up a world of growth for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you used the word Christopher shame. It is so true. Shame is at the essence of so many people hiding, pushing it away, being embarrassed, but it's the shame. And so I really love mm -hmm. that you said that word because that's really the critical thing, that and fear. So just wanted sure. to dovetail that and say that's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. So um, the book, The Crucible's Gifts, uh, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive From Adversity, is a passion project. And the passion project came from my podcast, Executives After Hours, where I interviewed, uh, similar to you guys, she's probably – in the book, 140 probably interviews with wow. executives from around the world. Um, Jeffrey Hazlett was one of them from uh, you know, chairman of C-Suite. Shout out uh, for Jeffrey. Of... Yeah, yes, Jeffrey. there we go. <laughs> he doesn't get enough of them. We got to give him another one. We're going to make sure. He's never see. in the media. He's never in the media. <laughs> this is why. This is why we're going to pull out this segment as we <laughs> talked about right. earlier, and we'll fire it off to Jeff. Jeff, yeah. you hear that? We're doing that yeah. for you, brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's I interview people from from Fortune 100 all the way to entrepreneurs and. And um, what I did in my tagline of the show is I care about who you are, not what you do, because who you are defines what you do. What you do. I love it. And, and so I never almost ever, or at least only 10% of the time on the air with our show, <clears throat> I would ask them about their job. Everything else was about their personal journey, childhood to where they're at. And so I was really interested in the story of human beings who happen to be successful, not their success, but their story on the way. And mm -hmm. so within that, in the book, I extract, and I started to see, you know, I'm a researcher, so I have a PhD in international marketing, consumer behavior, and I started to see these patterns of adversity, growth, and then what was it in the growth? How were they growing? And so the nutshell of the book is taking excerpts of the podcast as evidence from the interviews I've done, coupled with a little bit of research, because you have to have some veracity of what you're proving, and my narrative in there as well about my personal journey and how these concepts have really impacted me. And so... It's a very simple framework, and I'll walk you through it really fast. Um, if you think of a bullseye, I want you to draw three circles, right? You have a center circle, one more circle, and then a third circle on the outside. Got it. And everything that I talk about starts with that crucible or adversity moment. Now, often in adversity, people often say, well, do you know right away? I'm like, no, you don't know right away. Like, how many times have you had a crappy situation, but it's 12, 18, 24 months when you reflect on that crappy situation, you're like, aha, Right, like that was. Oh, life I get is, it now. Life is lived brings forward. adversity into perspective. Yeah, Correct. It's lived yeah. forward, but often, you know, not understood until you look backwards. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that so some people say you have to look in the positives of the adversity, and I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. But you also have to live in the sorrows of it as well. I agree. Right. You have yep. to be willing to. To you know, I was on another podcast, and I love this. You have to live with the suck. Like yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, I love yeah. that saying. I was like, that's Embrace so true. Embrace the suck. Yeah, embrace the suck. Uh, and so once you do that, when you move to the second circle outside the center, it divides into two. And the top half is self-awareness. And so what I found with these leaders is that once they developed their, their adversity or accepted it and embraced it, mm -hmm. it actually helped force them to develop their self-awareness. And that's really the challenge with any leader or any human being is how can I become more self-aware and grow as a human being? It's so hard to do because that's sometimes really confronting to look at your negatives. You know, we're, we're already a deficit society, right? Mm -hmm. Like our world is what's wrong with everything, not what's right with everything. Now, I'm gonna leave the bottom half of that circle empty for a second. We're gonna move one more out and we're gonna divide that next circle into three. 
And so what I found, and this is kind of the, the pillars of the book, you know, what we're talking about right now, is you have the crucible, you have the development of self-awareness, but then you move out one more and you have compassion. And what I found, and literature is really clear on this, is that when someone is more compassionate to those around them and has compassion acts, and more importantly, has self-compassion, hmm. right? We Keep beat me. ourselves up for yeah, everything, right. you know? I'm, I'm bad at it, I'm horrible. My wife will tell you all the mm -hmm. time. But once you figure out how to have self-compassion, whether it's taking care of yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, um, having forgiveness for yourself, <clears throat> those things start to then matriculate through to how you react and treat people as well. So that's one thing I found with a lot of these leaders is that they actually had a, a, an, an error of compassion with themselves and for others. So mm -hmm. then you kind of go back again to the middle, crucible, self-awareness. And then the next one on that outside circle is integrity. And I talk about the idea and the role of behavioral integrity in the world we live and how, you know, I have a friend of mine that lives in New York City, and he often says to me that, that uh, he goes, hey, I'll meet somebody and we'll say, hey, we'll catch up, or let's grab a drink, or let's get a coffee, knowing we're never grabbing a drink, getting a Gonna coffee, or catching up. Yeah, right, right. You know, and I said to him, how do you then actually learn to trust anybody if there's never a follow-through in that transaction? Now, I'm not saying I don't ever do that. What I'm saying is that that perpetuates mm. a habit of falsities. There's sure a great does. book by Sam Harris called Lying, and he talks about the whole concept of, of just being honest and not assuming the other person's intent. So only listening to what they say and responding to it. And so in a workplace, you know, the things that people have a hard time doing from integrity <clears throat> is they have a really hard time having the hard conversation. They have the hard time of putting their phone down and being present in a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. People have a hard time with... Um, just being honest. <laughs> Damn it, Alan, again? Again, Alan. <laughs> Christopher, I don't know how you deal with this incompetence, but... This is uh... how I deal with it. <laughs> right, that's it. I'm drinking coffee. So and for those listening in, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I picked up my screen. phone <laughs> to deal with Alan picking up his phone. Yeah. So really, it's just oh. us not you know, even committing to the you know, conversation. So. I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so I talk about in the book when it comes to integrity about the idea of listening with intent. Mm -hmm. I like that. Oh, I you like know? that too. I'm writing that down. Um, because often we listen to think about what we want to say about what that person's saying and how I can interject my own wisdom. You know, I was, and I'm not going to say who the person is, but I was, I was, I just had a meeting with somebody <clears throat> on this journey who's world around leadership expert um, does tons of speaking, and I, I've honestly never met somebody who was so eager to show their knowledge. Hmm. And I thought that was kind of the exact opposite hmm. of what you get when you become super elite and confident, is that you actually say less, and you ask more questions. So true. All right, so the last component on the outside of that circle is this concept called relatableness. And what I found with all these different leaders and what I firmly believe and what the literature says is that when you start valuing those micro moments of meaning that you create in your life, you then allow positive interactions and in positive interaction creates a multiplication effect. So in an organization, if you can create the environment of multiple moments where you're having positive interaction, I call them um, micro moments of meaning, what happens is that it becomes a ripple effect and then it actually lifts up the attitude, productivity, and really bottom line ROI of an organization. And so relatableness, what I found is that leaders could relate to anybody who was either in the C-suite, to admin, to janitors, it didn't matter.
because they met you where you were at on your particular journey. Got that. And that's really important. Often we start a conversation from where our journey is, not from the other person. And this is a little Dale Carnegie at the end of the day. Like mm -hmm. Dale Carnegie was very keen about starting where you're at, and I'm going to meet you there and bring you along to where I need to go, you know, in a healthy way, not a manipulative way. Sure. So you'll notice there's one spot missing on that second circle underneath self-awareness. And the reason why I say that's the last is because none of this matters if you don't have a learning mindset. Mm. And so without that learning mindset, you actually aren't growing or developing. And so that ends up being kind of the bookend in some ways of the whole entire conversation. In the book, it's the final chapter before the conclusion of saying like, listen, none of this stuff matters. None of it. If you aren't willing to grow and learn. And so that's really the framework of the book right there. I love it. I like the whole concept. You're talking about being relatable and being vulnerable. Yes. And you you talk about it from the from the top down necessarily if you've got a, a corporation, uh, if you've got somebody at the top that's willing to be vulnerable and really willing to be relatable to themselves but also to their organization will not only trickle down in in effort and results but it will trickle down in character development I think with people and I like I like what you what you're talking about because that's kind of like you know infusing a company with hey it's okay to fill in the fill in the remainder and it creates a culture Mm -hmm. That's what yeah, I'm getting from this is creating a culture absolutely. That, 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 that grows that. I was at a, I had an event in Philadelphia and happenstance, I don't know how, uh, a COO of a major corporation walked in and sat down. And we were talking and she goes, you know, I basically have, have, have done a fake until I make it like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And she goes, so when I'm at meetings, I just say whatever comes to mind and no one questions it. And I kind of go, what? And I was in my head, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't seem right. And she goes, well, I asked for feedback from all my employees, but they don't give any feedback. They're and what afraid. that tells me <laughs> is that you actually aren't vulnerable, and they don't trust that you're not going to bite their head off and judge yeah. them. Hmm. Yeah. And she wasn't making that connection of, like, her actual behavior and her almost um, – she was quite arrogant. Her arrogance probably rubs her employees the wrong way, and they're afraid to come to her and be real. Yeah. And I think that um, – you know, when you think of like a, a Bill George, who was the CEO of Medtronics, mm -hmm. he endorsed the book. You know, he took a company that was something like 30 million to 100 million, and he did it through this idea of authentic leadership. And his and his terms of authentic leadership a little bit different than mine. But his one of the premises is that you have to be yourself and be vulnerable. And I think one of the big things in life to be vulnerable means you have to be willing to apologize. Mm -hmm. And once you get over having to be right versus do right, then there's another transition as well. Mm -hmm. So. It's a really important thing. I think often in business, because we create such a competitive nature, which, listen, I played sports. I get it. Um, Alan, you look like you're a mad shuffleboard player. And, oh, yeah, every day. Uh, and, and Christopher, you look like you could beat the bejesus out of me if you had to. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. I'm a lover, not a, not a fighter, brother. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But I did wrestle, so, and I could put you in a chokehold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He could hold you while I shuffle a disc at. So yeah, yeah. I always said, I always said, come in my arms and I'll put you to sleep, brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, but I think as competitive people, sometimes we get so caught up on trying to be right that we forget the moments of doing right instead. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's true. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point.
I really that's a really point. good point for a lot of uh, leaders to understand. You know, vulnerability historically has been uh, a faux pas in business. There's been no place for it because people feel that if you're vulnerable, you're you're vulnerable to to your competition and to the market. When in actuality, vulnerability equals relatability, and if people can relate to you, then you're attractive, right? And yeah. I think that's only been a you know a fairly recent. You know, and I recent, you know, five, eight years. I didn't grow up like that. If, you know, yeah. in the market, if you were vulnerable, you, you know, bad, right? Bad. You're Don't be vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is such a false positive. Yeah. Sorry, Christopher. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's okay. I wanted to point out something um, and I want to dive into it because I, I love this. And today's worst situation may be tomorrow's greatest opportunity, and that's mm-hmm. the heart of the Crucible's gift. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that is so important, you know, when you actually read that for a moment is, you know, you can look at it knowing that, hey, it's how I'm looking at it that really makes the big difference. Mm-hmm. And now I can take that and, and say to myself, well, what? did I really want and if I didn't get it now what can I learn from it and who can I connect with to learn from so that I can find out you know what this is going on and I think that comes down to what you talked about the self-awareness piece is you know looking within right and and asking yourself those powerful questions instead of you know again like we talked about earlier hiding away from it or running away from it Mm -hmm. I always found when I faced that you know really hard situations and you know I looked at them straight on they had no power over me. Yeah. Where when I ran, it's like they were all over me like this big giant and I had mm-hmm. nowhere to hide. Yeah. You're defining but, it for yourself, right? Yeah. Like you're not right. letting the yeah. adversity define you. You're defining it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's I mean, powerful. Very powerful. And it's yeah. uh, it's amazing. I just want to point out really quickly, everybody, so that you're listening in and uh, maybe something's resonated with you. But you can go to drjameskelly.com and I'll spell that out, Dr. J-A-M-E-S-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. Is that right? Yes. Dr. It's the second E that no one gets. Yeah. There you go. I was, savvy. I was savvy, and I bought both with the E. That's <laughs> good for you. <laughs> See? Smart man. He's a professor. Come on. He has some answers. He's, uh, yeah. he's able to help you. So listen in, folks, and you can get that on Amazon. So check it out, and uh, we certainly will. And uh, you've got some amazing people that have endorsed this book as well. Indeed. And, uh, Wow, I'm just like, all these yeah. people are popping up here, and I'm like, what? This oh, is. Yeah. Uh, you got Marshall. Really I'm just gonna list them off. We got yeah, Marshall do it. Goldsmith, do it, and we've got oh, Dory Clark, which you know Dory's great. And of course, we got Jeffrey. Hey, Jeffrey, how's it going? Hey, Jeffrey. There's another one for yeah, Jeffrey. Can I have that nickel? Can I get that nickel for the sponsor? Nickel, please. <laughs> we got Chris Lockheed. We've got uh, Dennis Boyle. You got some pretty good. You got Bernie Swain. And yeah. my computer goes a little bit faster here. We're going to get to the next one, which is John Burkoff. And for those that don't know who these are, I really encourage you to go on to James' site and really check them out. Lee uh, Cockerell, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with Lee, but I know Hal uh, Mobius. Mobius? Yeah. Mobius, yeah. I think so. Yeah. He made a lot of great endorsements. And I'll tell you what, folks, you don't get some of these people. You can't buy it. It's got to be. And these are authentic it's folks. Earned. These Absolutely. are very authentic leaders. We this know some connection. of them personally, so we will definitely validate that, is that it comes with being what you want and what you're attracting. And that's how you get some of these endorsements and, and so forth. So 
And I was really proud of um, Bill George because Bill George, if, if if you don't know Bill George, I interviewed him on podcast. He is a completely no BS guy. Like oh, he doesn't so. use excess words. <laughs> so like right. he's very, but he's very real. And he, and when he, his endorsement to me, what he wrote to me in the endorsement, very similar, but he wrote to me is like, this is an amazing, well done job. And he's just, when I got that, I actually put a tear in my eye just because I know he's not going to sell me a box of BS. Sure. Um, and so that meant a lot to me to get that from him. So I'm proud of that. I love it. I love yeah, that's it. totally cool. You, it, it is for a little, man, a little, a few words, but great words. Yes. That is a good point. Um, so what's, uh, what's happening now, my friend? Like you've got you know this stuff. You've been on a tour. Um, tell us a little bit about. Uh, well, let's let's just pick at a question here. If you're going on uh, a vacation, what's the one thing you must bring with you? Just to mix things up here, Bill. Uh, or I mean, my... uh, I'm sorry, James. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at Bill when I was saying that. So Tommy, I think I'm gonna bring. Uh... <laughs> Touche. I love it. You can just yeah. take it. I like it. So um, first of all, I'll bring my four kids because I have to, even though maybe I'd like to leave them at home I sometimes. Have to. Um, uh, it was funny. I don't. I don't know if you guys have kids or not. Yeah, um, we do. Four. Yeah. Uh, so how old are you? What's your oldest, Christopher? Uh, 25, 25, oh. 11, five, and three and a half. So it's it's a little crazy. That's a spread. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's got young <laughs> well, ones, and well, I got old. You know, ones. you took the same odds as I did. <laughs> at least twenty five percent odds that one of them will take care of me, right? Yeah. So I had to spread them out. <laughs> <laughs> that poor three year old. Um, uh, so yeah, so I have life. four kids, four kids under ten. Um, and wow, so wow. we have never lived close to family. And so we've never actually gone on vacation without kids. So I'm not sure what to take mm. on vacation without my kids. <laughs> so it's the kids. I love it. Yeah. Great answer. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, I will say right before we came out to this, uh, this event in June, my wife and I did do 36 hours without kids. It was the first, first overnight with wow. no kids in 11 years. Wow. Um, what'd you talk about? Uh, kids? We sat at the pool and drank. <laughs> I know, right? I kind of put a no rule, kid rule, uh, except for the fact that we could lay in bed till noon, and we were like, I can't believe no kids have shown up yet. Yeah. Right? Um, we were drinking at a pool at 3 p.m. Beautiful. Uh, it, nice. We were at a Hilton. This is kind of funny. So we were at a Hilton, and they they uh, bumped us up. So we had the executive uh, lounge, right? In the executive mm -hmm. lounge, you get like free food, free drinks. So it was eight o'clock. My wife's like, we got to go to bed. I'm like, no, we are not going to bed. It is 8 o'clock. We have no kids. We're going out for dinner. So what do we do? We walk out the front of the hotel, turn left. We walk about 100 steps to the sushi restaurant next door, go there, and then come home and go to bed. So we left the hotel. At least you got out. At least you got out. That's right. And you had some sushi. Let's face yeah. it. That's good stuff. So, so just to go back, really, the only thing I want for a vacation is no kids next time awesome. for longer than 36 hours. And awesome. Then there you go. Well, you, you know. said it, and uh, you know we'll help you manifest it now. We'll, uh, we'll come up with a way uh, to give you some good energy for that. Yeah. Um, Alan, what do we have for Mr. James? What's next? Ah. What's next, James? Oh, sorry. I thought that was tour. a segment. No, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, is that what it's called? What's next? Okay. Oh, you're a very funny man. <laughs> um, what's so, next on uh, your journey? I don't mean your 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 vacation trip journey here, but no, no, what's life, the next thing, career. What's, what's the next thing? On your, on your, on your, on your so, um, so part of this part of this trip this summer was looking for places to potentially move to when we come back, um, and so. 
I'm working on a course. I think everyone's working on courses nowadays, but I'm working on a course. Uh, I'm working on – go ahead. I said, cool. I want to hear about this. Um, You know, I'm really into this thing called appreciative inquiry right now. And appreciative inquiry, just to to give you the premise of it, as I said earlier, we're often a deficit-based society. So consultants go into organizations, and they say, here's what's broken. Here's what needs to be fixed. And when when you start the proposition of healing an organization and moving an organization forward – when you start with what's wrong with something, mm-hmm. the whole entirety of the culture is in a negative position. Yeah, agreed. So appreciative inquiry is really premised around figuring out the best examples of what was, right? Looking at the history of the organization, the history of when excellence occurred, mm-hmm. figuring out how we can apply it now, and then how we can apply it moving forward. Like and that. it's an 80-20 rule where you look at 80% of the positive situations and 20% of the negatives. And in doing so, again, it becomes a cultural paradigm shift for an organization and it's powerful because it's based on the premise of a question so i'll give you an example you know often when you go into a company um if they say they say to you well you know uh everyone's late to our meetings that's a deficit and i want you to fix that but if you if you flip the question and say when people are on time in your for your meetings to show up be present be active what are the factors that are happening in their lives what are the factors that are happening in the organization at that time? And then when everyone starts to share those factors and share those experiences and those examples yeah. to the greater community, you're now recreating the social yeah. construct of what that looks like for excellence. And well, it becomes way easier. Yeah, right. and it's way easier to replicate that when we're sharing up the positives. But if you share up the negatives, people feel like crap at the end of the day, and they don't want to really partake in that. Yeah. They feel like they're being drug along versus inspired along. Right. So I like that's the inspiration side of things. Cool. Yep, uh, so. And are I you like deploying that. this course uh, and working with organizations, uh, or are you deploying this course through more of a digital perspective? Social media. Or, so I'll do both. Both. Uh, both. I'll do both. So um, gotcha. I think that the business side of me wants the the uh, income in the background, right? So you yeah, set up a sure. course digitally, it becomes residual if you do it right and sure. you do it well. Right. Uh, but I really around. enjoy the interactions and facilitating mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. You know, having having been an academic and teaching executives all the way down to undergrads for ten plus years now, um, I love the theater side of it. Believe it or sure. not, because teaching is partly theater, and it's really fun to get people to engage and see things. And and I think you know through like your podcast, like yours, and like my podcast, I have an innate ability to kind of. Uh, listen and hear and extract the necessities not sure. the the extras of words that are used and kind of nail down the point people are trying to make and so i really enjoy that when i get get and help people get clarity around what they're trying to achieve gotcha love it and then eventually Makes we sense. move back obviously so right yeah because where christopher where are you located at i'm in florida and okay. uh, i'm on the panhandle and i'm on okay. the central time zone so I had to say oh. that because most people think of Florida as being, you know, on the eastern time Please. zone. So I get to be central. Neutral. Interesting. Right? <laughs> and Alan, are, I you, love are it. you actually in Portland? Yeah. yeah. I'm, well, I'm in Gresham, but yeah. Oh, geez. I was just in Gresham yesterday. Yeah. Really? Oh, we yeah. should have said oh. hi. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should meet up. I'm here for four more days. There we go. Well, we there should, you we, go. We should, we should do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Make it happen. Make it happen. That's what I say. Um, So 
you know, you've been on this journey. Uh, you're going back. Uh, when are you on your way back, uh, James? Uh, August 15th, I fly back. Okay. Seattle, Chicago, Chicago, London, London, Abu Dhabi, and an hour and a half drive back to my hometown. All right. So, uh, so Dubai, just outside of Dubai? Is that correct? It's, it's a small okay. town called Alain. So okay. um, the United Arab Emirates, really, there's two major cities. There's Abu Dhabi and then there's Dubai. Dubai is the northwest and Abu Dhabi is on the west central. Gotcha. Alain is a triangle point to those opposite. So an hour and a half southeast of Dubai and an hour and a half just east of Abu Dhabi. Um, it's awesome. a 600,000 town wow. city, super conservative, um, not, not what people think. I think what's one of the things really fascinating about living in the Middle East is that there's a lot of, especially from here, misconceptions. Sure. And that's one of the reasons why I moved over there is that I, even at a young age, I, I found that people were trying to indoctrinate my, my oldest son in their beliefs about cultures they knew nothing about. And so I thought it was really important that that myself, my wife, and my family form their own opinions based on their own experiences, not what they've seen yeah. on the news or, or whatever. And so yeah. uh, the school that my, my kids go to, they're in classes with um, Emiratis, which is the local culture, uh, British, Irish, South African, Ethiopian, Jordanian, uh, Egyptian, South Korean. Uh, um, uh, some other, very diverse. Other, yeah, super bunch diverse. Of, bunch of ex expats, huh? Correct, you know, and in and in their classes there are some prince and princesses, which are called shake and shakas. Oh. So they're mixing with this crazy group of people, which you know my hope is if it works out well, is that they have a sense of tolerance. Mm -hmm. You know, having lived in three countries and five major cities in the U.S. all as an adult, the one that I can tell you is that there is there's way more similarities than there are differences but it's way easy to start with the differences and the similarities and so you know even taking the middle east like family super important to them well family certain important super important to people here or um community around food right if you're an italian community food's very central to what you do same with them so like you start to see these connections of similarities you're like I can have a conversation with them based on similarities, not differences. Right. You know, my, my son plays soccer at a soccer pitch uh, on Fridays just for fun, and these local Afghani and Pakistani boys show up. They don't speak any English, but soccer is the commonality. And so they play together, and it just builds this sense of character for our kids of really appreciating the differences in the world. And that, to me, um, currently, whether you're Republican or Democrat, doesn't really matter is really lacking in our current culture. It's very, very much about you're either with me or against me, and that gets you nowhere but to the really the end, yeah. right? The failure, right. so, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, so what do you love about that culture over there? Like just, yeah. you know, anything. I guess you probably like a lot of things, but what is the one thing that sort of sticks out that you uh, you really love? So I think, you know, one of the things that really people don't understand is just the sense of kindness, Kindness. that they like have that. Mm -hmm. cool um you know there's a lot of wealth there from the emirati perspective you have to sure. you know people don't know that united arab emirates is a population as a country 9.5 million but of that 9.5 million only 1.5 are actually emiratis <coughs> so huh. almost the whole country's expats right mm -hmm. i happen to live in a, a highly dense emirati city um there's this there's this holiday that happens in the fall and what they do, and this happened the first, the first week we were there, it freaked us out a little bit, is we were walking in the grocery store, and these Emirati women gave our kids money as a, as a gift. 
And the premise is that they're trying to give for others, right? And so oh. it's really fascinating that you're in a store. My 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 three year old, the two year old at that time, comes running up to my wife with a, what's called a ten dollar a ten Durham note, so like three bucks that someone gave them in the middle of the grocery store. Wow. And my wife's like, "What's happening? Where'd you get that? Who'd you steal it from?" Right? <laughs> That's uh, funny. And the women were all like, "No, no, no it's Eid. It's it's in a it's a holiday here. Please take it. It's our gift." And so um, there's this sense of generosity that's given. The other thing that's really been fascinating is that we often conflate the religion with the culture. So let me give you a great example. Often uh, in the news, people blame the religion for the women covering up, right? Wearing what's called the abaya and the shayla, which yeah. is the headscarf. But actually that's the culture. So when you ask the women, do you have to wear it for religious purposes? They say, no, it's the culture of our country. So we conflate the idea of being Islam with covering up, which isn't actually true. It's the culture that embeds that, and the religion is there as a religion, like Christianity, Buddhism, or whatever. Sure. So sure. again, that's another example of creating clarity yeah. that, that I wouldn't have had if I right. wasn't there. Right, so, some ignorance yeah. for sure that gets yeah. cleared up. Yeah. Wow, these shows go really fast, don't oh, they, Alan? Oh, man, I'm telling you, yeah. we're at 50 minutes. Do you believe that? I know. It just rolls. That's because, Alan, you don't stop talking. So I tell you, I'm trying my <laughs> When it's about goes. Alan, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here, wait a minute. Awesome. See, I got this stapler. I'm going to Just shut it up, Alan. Just shut it up. Oh, no, I am teasing. You guys are awesome. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for that. And uh, back at you, it takes one to know one, uh, James. Um, or should I say Bill? And, uh, <laughs> no problem, Tom. Hey, right? Mr. Bill uh, to you, please. That, Dr. Bill right. to you, sorry. There you go, Dr. Dr. Bill. Uh, Alan, let's take it away. Uh, before we do that, you know, thanks to the audience for listening in. Of course, this is going to be featured on C-Suite. Did hey, we Jeffrey. give it again? Did we do it again? <laughs> we did it again. We, it again? we should get paid uh, by Jeffrey, no, I tell you. We need a bill. We need a gonna, bell, a bell and yeah, a ding every time yeah, we say that. Wait a minute, I have time. a bell somewhere. Cha-ching, more yeah. like a cha-ching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a phone uh, app. That's not the right. same thing. <laughs> we are featured on C-Suite, and we will have the show, obviously, on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Automatic, and we will be soon to be on SoundCloud, which is cool. Things are growing. But uh, James, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on. But Alan, we're not done yet. Let's bring him in for the landing. I'll tell you, the, I like the landing because you know what? Usually in a conversation, you remember the first thing and you remember the last thing that somebody says, right? Historically. And in a meeting, you remember the very first introduction and you remember the last thing that's said. With that premise, which is really kind of an oxymoron that we've been talking about today. But let's assume that to be the case here with those that are listening. And we always like to leave the audience with really good piece of advice, a lesson, maybe a to-do list, maybe something that they can implement today in their business or their personal life that can really, you know, start to maybe make a difference, maybe enhance where they're at, but that's impactful, something that's impactful to them and something that they can then give to those around them so with that premise what could you leave with the audience today yeah i love that you know i have um i have kind of a tagline and i'll unpack it a little bit that i that i, that I talk with with everybody and i'll give you the tagline and unpack it for you but it's, it's um don't let fear conquer you conquer your fear and what i mean by that is often in life we are put into situations where our emotions our fear drives our choices and what I would ask the audience to do is that when you feel that anxiety or fear of what the possibility is moving forward, investigate that, pull it apart, and then push through it. 
because quite often the fear is premised on a false possibility, mm -hmm. not the reality of the option. And so, you know, I talk to my kids, I talk to people about this all the time. Like, listen, fear is a valid emotion for mm -hmm. sure, but it's also the emotion that paralyzes you from making changes and growing. So if you have fear of acting compassionately, which some people do because they don't want to be mm -hmm. seen as being weak. weak. If you yeah. have a fear of striking up a conversation and finding out where somebody's at in their life because you're afraid you're going to get judged, push through that. Always push through that fear because quite often on the other side of that is happiness, mm. is mm -hmm. contentment. And you're so close to it, but you're so it's so hard for many people to get through it to the other side. And that's where that yeah. growth happens. Yeah, I love that. It's like an eggshell. It doesn't take it takes it doesn't take a lot to crack it, but we think that it does. But what's on the inside, you know, whether you like eggs or not, it's it's something that it, that is um that that gives. It, it's it's yeah. a giving thing, and and I like that. And there's a lot of people that have that have fear, and fear, you know, is something that potentially could happen in the future. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's you know, and that usually it's nothing more than potential because it usually never happens. Correct. Yeah, but I love awesome. that. Thanks, thanks for thanks for sharing that. We much appreciate that. Thanks for being on the show. We, um, show goes by fast, but we sure appreciate your words of wisdom. Thanks for uh, for being transparent and being honest and and sharing that with the audience. I know that uh, that they're gonna that they're gonna reach out and we'll do our best to help promote your missions yeah. and where you're at. And uh, we've already Absolutely. got how they can connect with you. But uh, anyway, thanks, James, so much for being on the show. Chris, it's been an honor as usual, my friend. You got it. Back at you. And thank you to the audience. Thank you, James, for taking the time out today. You guys have a great day. And it wouldn't be a show without me saying, do something nice for someone today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.